It's the Breaking Atoms podcast where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the failed Homo sapien. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual. Okay, this is our episode 150. Oh, for this real? This is 150. Do you know what? To do 150 of anything is an achievement. Bravo. This is true. Congratulations. Salute. All that good stuff. No, nah, yeah, hundred hundred percent. But this is this is uh, this is for the culture. This is for the listeners. Um, we just revel uh, in talking to our heroes and people we respect. But this is very much for those who have headphones in right now. Those who are in their cars right now. Those who are blasting. It. I don't know if people blast our podcast on the bus or anywhere else. But I've seen headphones. a few. I've seen a few people put up um, pictures of them listening to it in their car. Right. So anyone, yeah. anyone, any you right now, you, yeah, you, yeah, you. Appreciate you, man. This is for you. This is episode one fifty, and we decided to go to Detroit. As you can, as you can already see the through D. the description, we had to go to the D because you know we're watching the BMF show at the moment, isn't it? You know, you know how that go, and you know how that go. Yeah, I have to cut um, your water off, and that. <laughs> oh God, God, <laughs> yo. We'll talk about we, the we, finale off off air. Yeah, yeah, we we yeah, we're not invoking Lamar here. Um, we're not doing that. We're we're just here to talk to Frank Nick, um, who is who has some incredible in incredible story not sure. about his own career but also of the late great Diller um, and oh my god this is full of stories man this is just I mean I was marvelling throughout this just going oh wow I had to cut out my oh wows because there were just too much mm. like, it was that many so I, I just know. I'm just always in awe that people can have new stories after so long or stuff that I've never talked about like can you just imagine they've done so much in such a short space of time that these stories are still coming out and, and that just never ceases to amaze me. That's very true. That's a very, very true. And, and like I said, I, I thought I knew enough, but there, there is so much more always. And, you know, obviously I'm the Hove stand, so I love the Hove story. Yeah, of course. Um, that was a good one because I, I didn't know that. That was dope. It's a, it's a, it's a really good story. But that no, was I appreciate, appreciate Frank, who is also a published author as well. Um, so that's 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 super cool. But this is an exciting episode, episode one fifty. Our fiftieth episode was a tribute to to the great DITC crew. Our hundredth episode was Pete Rock, and we had to do one hundred fifty with Frank Knit. So this is Frank Knit breaking Atos podcast. Check it out. It's another special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. Today we're 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 going to Detroit today. You know, some of you with our guest, some of you might know him as a traveling salesman. Um, some of you might know him as part of the Joint Chiefs. Um, definitely a spit kicker, hundred percent. We can't we can't forget that. Um, some of some of you might know him as Frank and Dank. Some of might know you as as as, as Frankie Rusty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what we've got today is a legend in the game. Someone with all the stories. Someone who's who's a purveyor of the culture. We're talking to none other than Frank Nitt. Frank, how you doing? Great, man. man. Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate it. Breaking Adams, you know what it is. And man, I'm just happy to be here, you know. No, we we sincerely appreciate you and and you know, we know you don't you know, we don't you don't do this too much, right? You don't you know, you know, don't too you don't do too many interviews. So no, I don't actually it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know why not. I just don't <laughs> <laughs> 
but but you know you're selective and we appreciate that so we you know we humbly really really respect that right right off the bat so <laughs> first you want to congratulate you on your new project yes, before we go to to the mid 80s and the early 90s and the lunch rooms and school mm-hmm. and and you know back 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 in the early days i want to talk about the new project yeah. congrats on it uh, what can we expect you know the the general stuff what can we expect when's it coming out what, you know how how excited are you about um well the excitement meter is through the roof right now uh <laughs> You know, I've been at this for a minute. You know, this is year 23 or something like that, that I've been putting records out, right? So um, for me, putting out records is not necessarily about making money anymore or about, uh, you know, the notoriety and the fanfare that comes with that. Of course, I want people to want to hear it and enjoy it and celebrate it. Of course, that's the ultimate goal when putting out music. But for me, making music is the passion. So for this record for me is like, a, it's, it's a growth. It shows growth in just me as a person and the things that I was willing to speak about or the things I was speaking about and living as a young MC to now being someone who's been in the game 20 plus years, traveled the world, done, you know, from zero people in the crowd to 40,000 in the crowd and done all these different things. I'm a different person now. I'm uh, Same hip hop guy, same love, same passion for the music, but experience is bonkers, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm able to speak about these things. I have a, a son that is in the game. He's actually on the album as well. Uh, you know, so I'm able to make songs that speak to him, his generation younger generations from experience though. You know what I'm saying? Not, uh, you have to do this. You, you know what I'm saying? You do what you gotta do. But from what I've seen, this is what I know type of thing. So for me, uh, it, it's very special in that, that artistically it's growth. You know, the skills are still sharp. You know what I'm saying? I'm still slicing yeah. faces. So. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's it feels good to be at this point and still be able to make something that I feel is 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 monumental, right? And just a little tidbit, something I can give you about the record. It's all produced by King Michael Coy. I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with the name. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. He's done stuff with Fonte. Yeah, Fonte and her and and Anderson Park and Dre and just a a, a, a litany. Yeah, a litany of great artists that he's worked with and, and masterminded. He did the whole entire thing. So that's my guy. Shout out to King Michael Coy. And, uh, you know, to have someone of that caliber behind the boards, I mean, being where I come from, you understand, uh, was was really great for me. And musically, because of the way he swings and his uh, skills with live instrumentation, and it just the sound is very boom back but it has a, a very musical live band feel in a lot of ways. But because it's so boom back, it's something that I don't, I don't even know how a live band would approach it. Dope. Right. Because it's just, it's somewhere in that weird gray space, but it just, it slaps so good. Right. And it's musical. And I'm able to express different styles of, uh, of emceeing as well as different subject matter from, again, I'm an older guy. So, in this rap thing, you know, we have situations where the women in our dating pool, per se, as a single guy, 
uh, are usually young, younger than us. You know what I'm saying? Especially for someone like me. So um, I can talk about that now. You know what I'm saying? And I can talk about, you know, make records, like I said, speaking to my son's generation and, and, and talk about the world's expectation of them and kind of give them like, yo, man, this ain't, mm -hmm. it might look all pretty from over there, but over here is a whole nother bag of worms. So, you know, again, being that the music is expanded and, and musical and all these things, plus being able to grow as an MC and hey, man, still being sharp and cutting some faces, uh, pulling out my sword, you know, it, it, it's great for me. So I, that's my long winded about this album. <laughs> But you know, see, it's the thing, thing is, Frank, but that's still you, like that, that the, yeah. the musicality, the soulness, like that's been in your music for 20 plus years. Like that's always been that, right? So like, it's, it's such a beautiful thing that like now mm. as we get older, we can use this art form, this culture, this music to pass on. Yeah. Um, gems onto the mm -hmm. younger generation because they there's such a disconnect with the the preach they think that you're preaching to them however from that experience that you have you can put it into music and give it yeah. into give it and package it in such a way where they can absorb it and and see it and 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 really take it in and i yeah. think that's a it's that's a wonderful space we're in as a culture and people who've been in the game for 20 plus years now that they're able to do that because let's face it back back at, if we take it back to the 80s you know and and we've always had this thing about hip-hop and it's this it's it's negative it does this it does that and it's it's always this negative connotation to it but yeah. people like yourself and other people in the genre are, are, are in your i guess mm -hmm. your class are all now trying to do yeah, this it's, thing it's, where um, it's, it's growing. Hip-hop is growing. We're all growing rock, with it, and it's a wonderful thing. are um, allowed to get older in the space, and, and, and they, they get new fans as well, younger fans, but, you know, their yeah. older fans are allowed to go with them. And, and you know, you got, I mean, not, not like that, but the Rolling Stones are, you know, basically dead on stage. But guess what? You know what I'm saying? They will pack the house, bro. They, they will sell that joker out, right? Like, so, like, I think hip-hop is... It's been a, had enough time in the game to uh, <laughs> to start to foster that type of movement where guys can continue to do their hits, put out new records, different things like that to an audience that's some mostly of people that grew up with them or came up with right. them, but then some new folks as well to add into the mix. So I think, you know, hip hop is getting to that point because, you know, Early on, hip hop was, yeah, it's not going to be around long enough to be that. So we had no concept of what an old MC looked like. You get what I'm saying? Or uh, a seasoned MC. I don't even want to say old. A seasoned MC looked like. You know what I'm saying? And so, but with today's climate, the verses, the different things going on in the world, you know, it's, it's great to see the Big Daddy Kings and the KRS Ones and, 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 and those guys. You know, being able to say, "Hey, man, yes, today's price ain't yesterday's price." You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? They being able, they being able, they be able to say that right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which is great. And you know, for someone like me who I don't feel like I'm in that that ilk in the sense that <laughs> yeah, I haven't yeah, sold yeah. the record <laughs> and had the notoriety of guys like that. But for those guys, that means the train is going, you know, coming down my way. If that makes 
makes any sense. You get what I'm saying? It trickles down. It trickles. It trickles yeah, down. It, it does. When, it does. When, when everyone wins, everyone wins. Everyone wins, right? Everyone. Uh, when when the when there's a lot of money or a lot of eyes at the t- at the I guess the the commercial side, there's so much more eyes on the culture as as a whole, and so there's more of a demand. So for everyone from from people who are grinding right at the bottom right through to to legends, it it, mm. it kind of it works its way up. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, it definitely does. It it, it, it is different. And again, you know, I've been blessed with being able to be in Europe. I mean, there was a, there was a whole DVD, bro. You like, you know, you did a classic DVD. You know what I mean? Like uh, there, that. There's very few and far between that people have been able to do that. You know, so European vacation, European yeah, vacation, yeah. man. So you know, it's um, Europe is different in that sense, and it's able to thrive in different ways. That it's different in the states because in the states, you know, uh. They just really get into the festival life, right? It's not the pandemic has really pushed that forward a lot. Before, you know, it was in venues as opposed to the festival style where you get seven acts on one stage, 10 acts on one stage, right? It was more, you know, two, three big acts will come or, you know, a big act and a couple openers or whatever the situation. So uh, life and things is different. Our genre, because again, I, I don't really want to call it a genre, but the, the style of hip hop we, we make and the ilk that I come from, uh, we haven't had those festivals pop up yeah. like that. They have the one hip hop at this point, which is you know the more Southern uh, trap style and then UK grind style mm-hmm. beats drill, and, drill yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know the the, yeah. the uh, drill music from chicago and in those that frame of music and even r&b singers are in yeah. that lane as well so yeah yeah no 100 I, I just think also just um with with the pandemic everything everything yeah. put a reset on things and people just want such a you know it's a reset where people are then looking what they need and things like verses and and um platforms like that have, have mm. proved fruitful for for i guess the newer guys but also the ogs and and that's it's a it's a wonderful thing and i think you're right i think next year we'll see more of the we'll go back to the festival types that we used to see in europe a lot you know hip-hop camp or you know hip-hop, hip-hop mm. legends and mm-hmm. you know lords of underground will tour mm-hmm. with mop and yeah it, it will it will get back to that cycle i think very very yeah. soon but i want to i want to okay. take it back uh to mm. the lunchroom if I, I, I love, I love stories, man. Frank, I love stories, bro. I, I could sit there and listen to hip hop yeah. stories all day, right? So, you and it, I think it's important to make clear that you know, as young kids, hip hop, you know, break dancing was a yeah. thing for a lot of us as as young kids growing up in the country. That was right? my, that was and, my. You know, some of us did graffiti. Right, and then you graduated to to DJing. You know, the foundation, and and and, and I'm sure that had a, a real um, impact on your your you know mm-hmm. your ear for music because when we speak to people found when they've when the dj's turned in you know have kind of graduate into into rapping it's really helped their ear whether it's bpm yeah. stuff i don't know what it is whether it's sounds or looking for records think, it I really just the, has the an impact right a correlation trying to right mesh two things together and make them fit right yeah yeah you know it helps like, it, 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 yeah. it helps it helps yeah. and and um but then also there's this there's a story that you've told pre, you know you know many times before about H2O the group H2O in the lunchroom 
and mm-hmm. how and mm-hmm. how you mm-hmm. know two people that we don't know them as H two O, we yeah. didn't know them as H two O then. You know, they turned into a, a mm-hmm. legendary group after. Um, how they kind of helped you get that rapping bug. So, can you talk to us about what you did when you walked through that lunchroom on that day, and the beats mm-hmm. and being made on the table, and they said, "Hey, you need to do this," and and what happened from that point onwards. Just to, so you know, the players. Uh, uh, it was in lunch in uh, in high school. Um, I was a DJ by the time high school started. Uh, Dilla taught me how to DJ when I was in seventh grade, maybe. And and then uh, at Christmas, I got my first set of tapes. Um, after that, me and Dilla DJ parties. Initially, even had a deal with Detroit Public Schools. Like by then, I'm DJing. Like uh, we had like a, a home economics class for students uh, where they taught you know the girls how to cook and to bake and the guys and and you know at the end of every uh, semester they would have a mock wedding right where where they would pick right. the, the students and the teachers would pick a, a groom and then they would have a wedding and a reception with a live DJ and everything at the school. I was I was the DJ wow. for that all the time right. So by the time you know I'm just <laughs> DJing everywhere and. Prior to DJing, dancing was the thing, right? So at this time, we're all still dancers as well, right? Like, realistically, me and Dilla would DJ the parties. Dank would come with us because Dank is an incredible dancer. He would, that's how the party would really get started. Dank would start dancing for us. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we'll play something that we know gonna get him going. He would go and then the party's off the hook, right? Like, so we all were dancers as well. Right. So uh, we were known as the, the hip hop kids at, at, in high school. Um, and at the time, hip hop in the hip hop kid wasn't cool, especially in Detroit. Right. It's like, you know, uh, there was the athletes and the drug dealers. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gang. Yeah. But not like you would think gang, not Crips and Bloods type of gang. We talking three, four guys. that They all sell dope together. They ride together. Right. Mm. And that was in high school, what middle school actually. But you know, those were the categories. You had your athletes, your smart guys that was gonna go uh, to college, and, and and your hood guys, right? The rap guys, unless you was an R and B singer <laughs> now. If you was an R and B singer, you might have been able to get away. But the rap guys, rap wasn't cool enough yet. So we were kind of known as like my nickname was Hip Hop Frank from everybody else, right? Because it was like three Franks in the school, so I was Hip Hop Frank, right? Because everybody knew that this guy is the, the rap hip hop guy, right? So okay, uh, one day coming to the um, and, and it was a usual thing for the rappers would rap, right? And him and T three, they both did it. I made the beat, and they both did their verses. I was like, yo, that's dope. And it was T three. He was like, yo, Frank, you should write a verse to it at the crib and say it tomorrow at lunch. And I was like, okay, cool. And I went home, wrote my verse, came back, we did the beats. They dropped their verses, I dropped my verse. And it was just like, you know, like a, a real like movie moment. Like, oh, yeah. And that was it. I was hooked from there. <laughs> I was hooked. And, and um, you know, uh, our crew was very, very critical of one another to make each other better. Right? Right. Steel shop and yeah. steel. Later on, like, it was a weird space, like because I was still DJing and dancing and all that other stuff. So 
rapping wasn't really, really important, right? It was, it was cool, and I, I felt like I had the skill, but I was just playing with it. I wasn't, I took, like, some was the ones that were serious about the rap. I was going to be the DJ, right? Um, but as time progressed, later on, by the time we get out of high school, right, uh, things kind of shifted in the sense that I started taking rap a little more serious. And then, like, towards the end of high school, well, actually, it was the end of high school. I was out. I started... Um, I was doing, um, I was servicing DJs, vinyl, for the record labels, right? Through a, a promoter uh, in Detroit, shout out to Mark Hicks, legendary street promoter in the D, worked with all the major labels, everybody, right? So I worked for him. And I would service, uh, you know, records to the strip club DJs, right? I had that gig, which was awesome for me, right? So, uh, so you know, we'll go, you get in the clubs free, DJ, give us records, chill out, together, and then you go to another club. You go right to another club after that. So it was great. It's great, right? So I'm servicing, but in this time, you know, I'm getting all of this vinyl from everything, everything from Buster and everything, Bad Boy, and everything, I'm getting vinyl of it, right? So one day, look at the vinyl and it had instrumental. And um, of one more chance, Biggie's one more chance. So I took the instrumental. And I put it on my voicemail. You remember? Because that used to be the thing. You had to put your songs on your voicemail. So, on the machine. On your own. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but what I did was, and I did that kind of cadence and flow, and, and, and it, it worked. It, it worked, right? So, dank. This is the thing. This, And it's also how Dilla's beats, like Dilla would play us beats, and we would all be like, oh my God. Like, this is before anybody knew who he was or what he was doing or whatever. And it would, you know, blow our mind. And obviously we want somebody else to hear it, but we ain't gonna bring a bunch of people to the house. This ain't that, this ain't that time. We don't get to do that, right? So what Dank would do, this was like this was like SoundCloud, uh Stone Age SoundCloud. Dank would get on the phone, and you know, you had the three-way calling where you could call somebody and then click over and call another person and have three on the line. So what Dank yep. would do is like call one person with a three-way, call another person with a three-way, and they would call additional people. So you get 10 people on the line, right? And then they would call yeah. and listen to Dilla's voicemail to hear the beats. And that's how they heard the beats. And that's how people was finding out wow. that Dilla made these crazy beats. Because Dank would just, hey, yo, don't answer your phone. I'm about to call you right back. And have everybody listen. Wow. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, it's like, that was uh, like a, that was like a listening session. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so, so Dank was like, you know, like our chief marketing executive at that time, because he would get all these people on the phone just to hear this beat and people would lose their mind. But I, I didn't know the, you know, the kind of clubhouse, like listening sessions, uh, the listening sessions. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was the way some of Dilla's beats got around the the, the community. Yeah, yeah, like was, that. I never Dank knew was that. The king of that. Dank was the king. That's of crazy. That. He was the king of like just calling up, you know, four or five people and getting an additional four or five people on the phone and then just calling us to the beat. Yeah. How genius is that? That's genius. Absolute genius. Well, you see, it's one of those things, man. When 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 stuff needs to be heard, yeah. you find a way to, to to get it to the people. Yeah, man. It's gonna get out there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you talk about you talk about Dilla. Let's let's fast forward a few years. What was your like your working 
routine with Dilla, like your daily operation in terms of being around him? What was that like? Winter times, the end of 95. And I was, because uh, a lot of people don't know, my other little thing that I, I was really into was cars, right? And so far that I actually went to mechanic school and, and passed the test to get, uh, you know, certified to do brakes and work on engines and things, but I didn't go do the state test because the music called me and I quit, right? <laughs> so, uh, but cars was my thing, right? Uh, before that, and I was working at a spot where I delivered like large car parts, like uh, frames and hoods and fenders, like to body shops, right? And we had a back and forth and, you know, I was just like, man, I don't want to do this anyway, right? Mm. And from that point on, I didn't have a job tying me down, right? And God bless my mom and my family, you know, because, you know, they kind of let me kind of chill. And I had a child, right? Uh, right. And I'll tell you some things about that with the dealer connection, but later. But anyway, so, uh, but from that day forward, like every day, night, whatever, most times it would be, the routine would be, a lot of times I didn't even get phone calls. He would just come to my house because, you know, we stayed basically a five minute walk from each other. Right. He would drive up the block with the music turned all the way up. So it's rattling my house by the time he get. And then the music would instantly stop and you'll hear the horn. And then he'll just wait for me. to come home, <laughs> Right. And it never failed. If I was in a dead sleep, it'd wake me up. I'm up. I'm gone. So he would go, whether it's going to get food and we'll go do that record shopping, which I absolutely hated. Uh, yeah, it's just hours of me sitting around. Doing <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, uh, shopping because he was a he was a dresser. Like before he got in, you know, a lot of people know about the delay and the rover and the different things he had. But before all that, he didn't give two shits about cars. Pardon my French. He, you know. But it's, he was polo from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet every day. Socks, drawers, pants, shirt, and everything, right? Like, so he was always a, a dresser, right? So he stayed fresh. So going to the mall and getting mm-hmm. things and doing all that to embody the Detroit kind of hood hustler swag that we came up with, right? Yeah. And, and then he would take that and transform it into music. Like all that energy we built up, being around the city in a flashy car, seeing the girls, doing all the different things, builds up a ball of energy, which he then goes to the studio, right? Right. Like the strip club, yes, naked women there. So it's always gonna be that. But we wasn't there, we had girls there, right? Like, so it wasn't like we went there and we was cold or we was just a guy we had girls that would come to the house we didn't have to go right there. right 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 going there was for the atmosphere we're gonna get some food from one of the best cooks you'll ever find but he, he worked here in the, in our hood at the strip club he got a restaurant now shout to bb uh bb's kitchen seven mile detroit uh excellent chef but it was the atmosphere the music is really loud the strip clubs have a bounce and it's really made by the women Right, the dancers, and here's the thing: um, the music shifts from tempos. Right, it's different types of music. They dance slow music in Detroit. 
there was girls who would take a, a song that's already 140 BPMs and put it on 45 wow, and dance okay. to that. Right? So there was a, but they had a consistent motion to them. So the, the club had a certain bounce to it. And a lot of the bounce that we have comes from that. From just being in there. And I know people go, yeah, you know, it's naked asses, right? Yes, it is naked asses. They're very nice. But women in general have a rhythm to them. And if you can watch without the man feelings being involved, if you can just hmm. strictly get it to a, 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 just watching how it floats and kind of exists, like women, I mean, it's, it's funny to say, but like making your ass move independent of the rest of you is a skill, right? Absolutely. Then doing that to a beat is a whole nother thing. Like what if LeBron had to dribble to the drums? He'd, he'd probably break his ankle or something, right? Women, they can, it's a whole nother thing to that. So for us, after, you know, being in there and getting used to all of the other uh, stimulation that goes on in a strip club. You can find your bounce and say, damn it. How she did the beat over there, but she right here. You take that, translate that to raps. Beats. You know, Dilla's drunk kind of drums, what they call them, drunk drums. Yeah. It's a, it's a, so, so it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, this is, mm. these are muses. So he would, yeah. he, it's momentum. He was build, building balls of energy and momentum throughout the day to get himself into a zone, right? So he's kind of going, I want to go to this restaurant. I, I feel like doing this today in order yeah. to build the momentum in himself to, mm. to, to build up that energy, which he would then translate into creating into music. incredible music. Yeah. And that is, you know, everyone has different muses and it felt like mm. it feels like he had different muses for that in order to create his art. Mm. Cause ultimately that's what yeah. you guys are all doing, right? You guys are all creating art and that inspiration comes from somewhere. Um, yeah. And ultimately the end product was, was what we, what the world heard from, from all you guys did was just incredible. Look, look, I'll tell you a little tidbit. And I mean, I've told this before, but pause was literally made at four in the morning after the strip club. Like yeah. he went and went to the strip it's club. Interesting. And, and I think he had the, the sample and the pieces kind of in his mind that he wanted to use. He went home, he made pause in 15 minutes and went, and went upstairs because what our ritual, uh, the way we did it, he would make a beat for Frank and Dank. And he made me learn how to record and do all our vocals and work the equipment early, early. Cause he got tired of, you know, having to engineer our sessions. Right. So he would make the beat and he'd go upstairs and go to sleep. And our deal was, okay, when I go upstairs, y'all work through the night. So when I wake up, I can mix a new record for us. Right. And that's what we did. So when I come downstairs in the morning with the morning blunt, <laughs> I should be able to go over to the deck and pull up a record and do my thing. And that's how we pause was made that exact same way. Wow. It's really interesting though, because I think the legend of Dilla, you have some people, they say, oh, you know, he's, he's a legend, of course. Then you have some mm. people saying he's underground. And they, I think there's certain mm. subjects people bought underground artists in so slum village i say yo they were rapping about threesomes have you listened to climax is they put filler yeah. in this box and i'm like have you seen the cover of welcome to detroit yeah. there's a stripper on the cover like it, yeah. that was his mm -hmm. news and i think a lot of people forget that part yeah no no i'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm here to tell you that you know that part of him is real 
and, and years, years in the strip. We almost bought the strip club. We almost did it. <laughs> we we had the conversation. Wow. Right? Wow. So okay. um no man, it's not. You gotta understand that Dilla was very um he's one of those guys who would if he locked in on something, he would like hold on and really analyze and learn everything he can about whatever that situation is. Yeah. Um, from music to whatever he wanted to learn about, anything. Mm. If he didn't care, he didn't care. But if mm. you care, wasn't nothing you can do to stop him from learning what this is. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, no, for for the music and like the strip club thing and, and inspiration, it was really what. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that we didn't do what men would do <laughs> in a strip club with strippers, and especially with men who. And it was crazy for us because D- Detroit didn't know who he was as a producer. Right. But he by this time, you know, it's platinum records and different things, and you know, we riding around in hundred thousand dollar vehicles and. and but nobody knows who we are. Mm. We just the guys with money. All the drug dealers went to check to see if we was getting drugs from their club. That's wow. how you get. That's how we got. That's how we got a pass. Because wow. you know, when we came on the scene, we just these new dudes and we spending money and and yeah. if it if it wasn't for the fact that we wasn't drug dealers, that's first. And Dank, because <laughs> Dank is 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 heavy tied to the streets. So mm. he know all the street guys. Right. So when he came with us, he was like, hey, what you doing in here? Oh my gosh, oh, you know those guys? Oh, I've seen them guys in here before. Hey, oh, so they ain't, no, huh? No, they just yeah. some guys. And eventually, you know, like in our, our clubs that we went to regularly, eventually they figured out what was what, who was who, blah, blah, blah. Right, and it right. was, you know, all love at that point. But prior to that, it was all love anyway, but in the sense that we were there kind of living that life without actually doing a thing because Dilla was clocking music money mm. and making sure he was breaking bread with his fellas, whether it be singles we was doing or featuring on this or that, so that we were good while we were working on our stuff. Yeah. As well as just, hey, man. I got a big bundle in today. Here, take that. Take that. Right. Or, right, right. or uh, go in there and just kind of get what you need to put on. You need some new gear or something. Just grab that. Right. Like at some point when it was really crazy, like he shopped almost every day. He would go get outfit almost every day. Right. And he had a room in his house. It was set up like a store and it was filled with clothes and cleaners bags, fresh from the cleaners on, you know, the racks, like in the store. And stacks and stacks of shoes that that was our room to go in and, and get fresh whenever we wanted to. Like kind of because he didn't That's wear nothing. He, he he would wear stuff like one time. And then yeah, right, right, right. And then yeah, so it's like, hey man, we gotta go somewhere, go in there and get fresh. And then when you come back out later, he'd be, hey man, where you get that from? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, what you got? I ain't seen where you get that from. Out your room, dog. You man, I forgot I had that. Like it's like that type of thing, right? That's like dope. so. That's you know, it's, it's dope. It's, it's, you know, again, man, I, I've been blessed in the way I've been able to see this music thing and 
and watch it come and, and you know, due to him and his success and, and the friendships and the relationships that I had. But like, man, we, we had some really great times in this hip hop thing. And that just goes back to all of those things were experiences to drive the music. Mm, like, yeah. you know, we did things that we probably didn't have to do. And like when, when it was time to go get jewelry, we hopped on a plane and flew to Philly to buy jewelry. You know what I'm saying? Well, we could have went to the shop in Detroit. <laughs> we could have did that. But, you know, we hopped on a plane and went to South Street to buy the jewelry, right? Like, so, you know, it's, it's that type of thing, that type of living and being around and, but it's all to come back and make the records. It's not, it's not even, the experience is great, but the yeah. part we remember is making mm-hmm. the records. Yeah, but that, that also explains, I mean, you yeah. know, leads up to, to now as well. Before I yeah. had it with Chris and we get into some of Frank and Dank and your music as well, um, yeah. you spoke about Connect a lot. Um, I never knew this up until recently, but there's a Jay-Z and Dilla connect that I had never known. I'm a, I'm a resident Jay stan on this podcast. That's a, I was a there. running, it's a running joke throughout. I'm the resident Hove stan. Now, okay. what I didn't realize, Frank, was that Beehive, Jay-Z's mm-hmm. cousin, managed Dilla for manage a time. Dilla. Yeah. And I had no idea that that was the nah, case. I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you the greatest story. You're gonna I need that story love. now. I need this story. I need this story, bro. I, I need it in my life. I'm telling you. Okay, so here, here, here's, here's the kick. We're making Frank and Dank's 48 Hours. Actually, we're done with 48 Hours. Now, there has been a lot of stop and go with the label, right, at this time. This is when MCA, we didn't know at the time, but they were closing, and they were beginning to shut down and, 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 and change things around. So a right. lot of people were jumping ship. The lady who signed us had already left and went to Capitol. She signed wow. Chingy. Actually, and uh, <laughs> and not, 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 not like that, but I'm saying that's no, 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 no. But, but anyway, so um, uh, the labels kind of so we went through a bunch of ups and downs with fits and starts where we had the album finished and then they didn't have the music, and then it was okay, come do this, and then it was like, well, we want to change some of these things and do these so. And there's a lot of misconceptions about 48 hours. A lot of people say it got shelled and no, none of that happened. None of that happened. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, 48 hours is done. At this time, Beehive is managing um, Dylan, right? And because, and he started managing Dylan right around the time we were signing the deal for MCA Records. And it was actually because what we were going to do, we had plans for 48 hours. We were trying to go get Pharrell and just Blaze, like Dilla, because, you know, Dilla's a fan of other producers and things, and he wanted us to go and work with everybody. He's going to do a couple, but he more wanted to be more an executive, help us just guide this thing. And it was Beehive's idea. He's like, nah, man, y'all should just take the check, give it to Dilla, man, and just go ahead and keep it all in the family. Okay. Right, like Fair. no, no problem for me is you know I'm just it's it's a no brainer, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's how Forty Eight Hours started the way it was supposed to start. So anyway, fast forward, album is done. We're in New York for mastering, right? We had a photo shoot and mastering right. of Forty Eight Hours, right? And so Beehive at this point is not necessarily managing Frank and Dan. 
because I think the name of their their management company is Between Friends, I want to believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Beehive also uh, did transportation for, for Jay. He had a transportation company, right. right? So all the vehicles and things, you know, the vans and things that move the guys around. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on it. So Beehive was moving us around New York the whole time, right? And this is like right after September 11th, right? This is December. This is the December after September 11th, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Or maybe it was the next time. No, I think it was that time. But anyway, so we in New York and um, we're going around different places. Now, I don't know if you know, but Jay and does have a song with Memphis Bleak, right? So he does have a song with Bleak, and that happened in that same time, right? So um, we're moving around. We met Bleak. Was just randomly in New York. He was in the same general area, so we meet Bleak, whatever. And then we're going around and we're doing Frank Dank stuff, and and then we go to the studio. Mm. And, and it's it's crazy because we know it's Jay's studio. We we don't know if he's there, or whatever, right? But we in I think it was I can't remember the name of the studio. It might be Baseline because that around that time. I think it, was, it might have been Baseline. I think yeah. it was Baseline. And see when you roll up though, and this is you know 2000, 2001. Right? First thing you see is a 600, a two-door 600 sitting outside, a silver two-door 600, right? And for me, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, <laughs> okay. So we get up and we go in the building. Now, when you walk in, it's like, you know, a studio, like a regular setup. They got a lounge area and thing, and then the rooms is all the way in the back. Um, so B has to uh, Frankie Jake, y'all just chill out here with. Fellas, a bunch of Rockefeller dudes moving around and it's that third, right? And Jay come with me. So I found out later, we went back and him and Jay-Z, you know, sat down, shook hands. Pharrell was there as well. Wow. So they all chopped it up about working and Dill was supposed to get him some stuff. And I, I, I assume he heard some stuff and just didn't, you know, find what he needed at that time or whatever. But yes, that meeting is true. It did happen. And then after that, this 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 was so wild to us. Yeah. After that, um, the Rockefeller dudes, the uh, uh actually um, ah oh, man, Tata, yeah, which is Jay-Z's right hand man, him, and and a few of the guys took us out to drink. So, Y'all want to go get some drinks? Let's go, let's go out to the club get some drinks. Like, you know, Rockefeller showing us the time, right? And like, what I tell you, man, what I tell you, these guys, everybody had platinum cards. Like everybody, right? And it was like, there was almost an argument about who was putting their card up to get the drinks. Like it was the crazy, I had never seen that like that. It was like, yo, no, I don't put my card up. No, I don't put my card up. No, I don't put my card up. And then I think it was Tata. It was like, oh man, I already put my card up, man. Just go get the drinks. And it was like, yo, Frankie Jake Phillips, order whatever y'all want. Cristal, whatever you want. Just just go. Like it's crazy. So yeah, it all it, it did happen. The, 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 it's real. Yeah, he did. They did. Because you know, it's Frank, right? Like with with Jay. Um, again, Hovstam. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm admitting it. And yeah. the, listener, the listeners, the listeners are sick and tired of it. I'm going to be honest with you. They're sick oh, and tired of me being a Hovstam, right? Um, <laughs> but like, there's always a thing about you know Jay and Dilla and Jay and Doom and like you know mm-hmm. Jay was obviously aware of that. But it's it, I just didn't know that there was the connection with Beehive. That's the connection I didn't know. That was the thing that was I was like, oh yeah. my, because Beehive is behind us. He's behind the scenes, there, but he does so a, much. There's another connection I realized the other day. 
Um, mm. First down, um, yeah. Diller and Fat Cat. They mm-hmm. were on payday when Jay-Z did it in my lifetime. They won the same label. That's crazy. That's oh. crazy. Hey, what's y'all, what's y'all smoking policy? You can smoke. You could, you could, bro. Oh, okay, you can right, smoke right. and you can smoke and swear. You could do what the hell yeah, you man. want, bro. Evidence, okay, evidence, nearly, you know, um, evidence, nearly hey, burned down the Zoom call. It's all yes, good. he did. That's true. That's true. Oh, that awesome, true. awesome, awesome. I just want to, you know, make sure, you know, I get y'all what y'all need. <laughs> no, no, you're, 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 you're good. You, you, this, this is you're in our house. You can do what you want, bro. You, you're good, bro. You're good. You're good money, Chris. You, you go ahead, bro. Go for the next few questions, bro. Okay, so chemistry with Frank and Dank. Um, you, you know, I think there's something special about hip hop duos. What would you say? Is the, is the special ingredient in your chemistry with Frank and Dan? What makes it work? Um, we were friends first, like on some 12, 13, 14 year olds spinning out of each other's house, getting into trouble. All, like we were friends before any of the rap making records as Frank and Dan ever came into play. Like Dan had his neck, he was President Dankworth before, <laughs> before, before Frank, there was Frank and Dan. I was President Dankworth is an excellent name. What a name. Yeah, it, it was from an album cover. Right. Like, because at that time, the only person in the crew to smoke weed was Dank. Ah. But his name wasn't Dank then, you're right? Like, we didn't call him Dank then. He was the only person to smoke weed. And the rest of us were like sober, like, no alcohol. Dilla would a little bit, but not so much. He, he started drinking like in high school, you know, going to the high school, the, the skipping school parties and drinking beer and shit like that. But not, we weren't drinkers like that. Mm. And uh, and definitely not smokers. But Dank would come over and because of his street ties, he would get some really good. So it would, to us, it was like the stinkiest thing you've ever heard. You're like, oh my God, what is this? What is this? So, and you know, they would always complain. And it'd be crazy. Like we'd be at the gas station going out to the party. Nobody smoked. So they we pull up to the gas station. He'll get out of the car and, and smoke at the gas station. Oh wow. <laughs> so 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 because nobody else smoked. So he had to do it, hit it real fast while he was out the car and put it out and get back in the car, right? Like so so, <laughs> so uh his nickname was President Dankworth, who's a, a name of an album. That Dilla had it was an oldie that he had, and it was the, the, uh, I think the cover was green, if I'm correct, and it was it was called President Dankworth, and that was Dank's nickname, and obviously it shortened to Dank, and then Frank and Dank came about after that. Wow. So I think Frank and Dank's chemistry right. comes okay. from okay, okay, pure friendship, man. Just that's my guy, man. It has been my guy. He was my guy before this rap thing, and will be my guy far after. You understand? Like it's a situation where we really integrated into each other's families. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Dank, he lives in Toronto now, but if he goes to Detroit, like he going by my mama house, whether I'm there or not, I could be in California or Timbuktu. It don't matter. He's going to go see my mama. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, and it's the kind of same with him. Plenty of times I've been in the D, he wasn't there. His brother came, picked me up. And then we went and say hi to his mama. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, it's just, it's a very family thing. And I think that adds to the chemistry because we, I don't say we don't rehearse. We have a, like our shows, it's very rare that we go before we go on tour and together because we live in two different countries at this point uh, and rehearse in that manner. Mm. All our shows is kind of just off field and based on the song. And I know him, he knows me. So we kind of know where each other's going to step, where each other's going to be. And it's the, so unless we add something new to the show, like 
and it would be a whole other person or something that would interfere in our thing. It's yeah. very on some real weird twins type <laughs> type of, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Telekinesis type thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you clear up the whole situation with the 48 hours release? Because the delicious vinyl version has mm-hmm. no samples. Was that the version you submitted originally? Yes. Yes. Sorry about that. Uh, yes. Um, what happened was, here's the story. <laughs> When we got signed initially, right? Um, Dilla played the executive, Wendy Goldstein at the time, uh, a bunch of our records. And they wanted to give him initially just a, a, a production deal. And he was like, nah, I'll do the production deal, but I want a label deal to put out my solo record as well as Frank and Dank record. And when he got, when they said yes, and he was like, and it's one of the stipulations is their record will come out first, right? So he kind of set us up to be, you know, in a, a successful seat, basically. And uh, so they they heard a bunch of sample joints and obviously they knew Dilla from that, right? And initially we were picking beats and there was more of his sample driven to what you would expect from Dilla type of thing, right? And making this record. And one day he went over to the studio, the D12 studio. And I, I'm not sure if Dre was actually there or not. But from if I'm correct, Dre was in town working on D12's album at the time. Right? So they the studio was set up for Dre. Right? And you know live instrumentation, a lot of different things. He didn't have to sample. He could play samples on that type of thing, right? Um, and then after that, we had a session, a Frank and Dank session. And he came to our session and he was like, you know what, fellas? I don't want to use no samples on this. Y'all finished recording to the beats y'all picked, but the beats y'all already recorded to, I'm stripping those beats and doing new beats to them to y'all vocals, right? So he basically, while we were finishing up the last four or five joints for the album, he was right. taking the first seven or eight, stripping the sample beats we had and rebuilding them, right? Um, My Dukes and Keep It Coming was the only two songs that have any remnants of this sample song, right? And we had to argue for those, right? And, and also, rent him a mandolin and a <laughs> so he can so he so he can play that shit over right so so uh like um so we turned that record in right and what happened was they Wendy was still there the woman who signed us right she said okay I love this record uh but we need something that's more club radio. We need a new song that's club radio to add to the mix, right? Right. That's where Take Your Clothes Off came from. <laughs> that's where the other joint, the B-side to that Off Your Chest. Yeah. Those two songs were made for singles for 48 Hours. Like, so the version of 48 Hours that came out on Delicious Vinyl is what 48 Hours was supposed to be. Got it. Then we did Take Your Clothes Off and Keep It Coming. 
And then when Wendy left the label and the new dude who was supposed to take over left the label and then the label didn't have any more music, they couldn't find the music. So we had to get them the music again. Then they came back and told Dilla, well, because it's a whole nother guy now. Well, we want something more like the Dilla stuff. So take a couple songs and remix them. And, and make them more sample driven songs. And then while we were doing that, there was a little crazy bit of turbulence. Everything was kind of up in the air. Dilla decided he didn't want to work. They had to send him some more money, basically, right? Even though, because Frankie Day didn't have any work to do. The vocals was already done. Mm. He just had to do the thing. So after that, then everything kind of fell apart as far as the label situation, where it went from that to me, then on the phone for almost a year straight, every day calling MCA, trying to get somewhere to get out the deal. And eventually I got to the president, right? Because everybody under him, they got fired or quit or whatever. I eventually got to him, uh, Jay Boberg, child Jay Boberg. And we had a real, real conversation about Frank and Dank and priorities with the label and what he needed to do and where that put us at. And I told him, look, man, we come from the underground. There's numerous underground labels that will give us a check for a Frank and Dank dealer record right now. Um, we don't, we can't, they won't touch us with you at our back, bro. It ain't gonna work. Like, I understand that you got Blink 182 and Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige and Common. You got to shuffle these people and send them over here to get them. I don't need none of that. Just need to be free, man. Been a year calling. A record got held up. You well know because by the end of it, you were trying to AR records. So you know what's up. And the man told me, you know what, Frank? Most, most artists call me and they scream at me. And they don't articulate themselves like this. And they call me all types of bad names. And I understand they're upset. I get it. But no one has called me like this. So you know what? I'm going to let you go. And just hold on a minute. And he connected me to the head of the law department at MCA. And two weeks later, we was on our deal, bro. Wow. So, yeah, it was crazy. It's crazy. And what I'm saying is, I say all that to say, 48 hours was what it was supposed to be. It was the label that kind of made things and not shelled it. They never, it was never, oh, we don't want that. Put that over there. It was the person who signed us and, and saw the vision want to take your clothes off and think. But then she left. So by the time they were just searching for, okay, what's the surefire way? Well, Dilla is known for these type of beats. So let's just make him change this to this. To this, to this. Right? And then he said, no, nah, we ain't doing that. Oh, y'all gonna send me another check. Y'all decide. And, and then after that, the label was in such disarray. So many people got fired. The music was lost. And all these different things that, you know, Frank negotiated his way out the deal. Right? So, so, yeah. So, yeah, the misconception that it got shelved and they didn't want it, that's just a lot of people's speculations and, and you know, I would imagine people who may have worked the label or whatever got their own little idea of what it is, but I had to sit on that phone and deal with that uh, 
that the president of that label and get out that deal and understand. I I, I know what happened. You know what I mean? Mm. MCA, the Music Cemetery of America. Yeah, man. You know, crazy. Uh, Frank, Dank, Frank Dank's record went there to die, man. Wow. Oh, wow. I'm going to I'm going to ask you one last question before I hand over to Summit. So you mentioned Dilla would make the beat, go to mm-hmm. bed and then overnight you guys will record your bits. So I need to know. First impression when you heard the beat for McNasty Filth and then you heard Dilla rhyming on the hi-hats when he said um, Frank Dank Dilla chasing paper blazing up. Well, so and here's, he rhymed in the pattern of the hi-hat. That's crazy. Going, I want to know I'm what going you to, was thinking. I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. There's a whole, there's a story to that. We didn't, that day we rapped on that beat, we heard 50 or 60 Madlib beats, right? And by the time we got to that beat, not that we didn't like the beat, it's just we had heard other ones that made us excited, more excited, right? And when we got to that beat, Dilla didn't see like the same excitement he's seen in other things. And he's like, you know what? This the one we're going to do. Right? Because he always gave, Frankie Bank didn't get it easy. You got the challenge. Like, we rarely got to pick our own beats. He would make something from scratch for us. You understand? It wasn't, we were different. We didn't get to go through the beat tape. We got the beat tapes early before anybody else, before you put the tags on it or any of that. But we got them to ride to and listen to. We didn't get to rap over those beats. Right? Those were for other people. He would make our beats for us. Right. So, OK. So. Um, uh, 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 Big Nasty Phil comes on. We're not as excited. Not that we didn't think it was dope. It's just we had smoked and been listened to a million beats. And it was other ones that just had us like, oh, that's it right there. Right. So he said, this is it. This is the one right here. Dilla didn't write his rhymes first. We did. Right. Okay. So he pulled up McNasty Phil and went upstairs, went to sleep. We did our parts. He didn't think we was going to finish it. <laughs> when he woke up in the morning, he said, man, y'all finished this shit? Because we had did the, the we are in this motherfucker, all that part and all the Frank and Dank verses and, and the end part uh. JD's and your bad lid bringing that all that he did after all that he did the next day when he woke up the next morning with the morning bloody come down the steps y'all got some y'all got some because he didn't think we was gonna have that oh yeah man hit play click and he was like yo <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute y'all did this oh he put us out all right man it's time for y'all go back to the crib man I gotta get work on this song man. <laughs> like he put us out the studio bro <laughs> He goes to get out, man. Like, yo, I don't believe y'all did this. Now I got to sit here and write this rap. So he went and wrote that rap with aggression. That's why it's so crazy. Because okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we wrote first. We formed that song per se. So he, okay. So that's so that's why he came out the gate like that. He's like, okay, these guys killed it. I need to I need to step up. Okay, so it's your fault. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> yep. He put us out the house, man. He put us out the studio after that. Yeah, when you kick people out the house because you got to work, it's, it's it's time to work. It's serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it was very rare that he would put us out the house to work, but he was yeah. mad at us for writing that song like that. Classic, though. It's one of my favorite Jaylib records. Yeah, man. It turned into, you know, something that we have to do. And you know, 
Like, we have to do it on stage. It's crazy. Also, McNasty Filth is probably one of the greatest names I've ever heard yeah. in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a name. Um, yeah, McNasty Records was on the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, speaking of uh, Mad Lib, um, mm. I just want to know why he curved you like three times when you're trying to get, when you're just trying to get some beats from him. And I love your ingenuity. The ingenuity you had to go. It wasn't, it wasn't curving me. It's just Mad Lib is aloof. And he has a lot of things going on. And sometimes he just forgets. He forgets. He just, okay, okay. Right, forgets. We'll give him he, that. He wasn't, you know, no, because every time he, he saw me, he gave me a bag of money too. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's like true. He was so like, the, huh, like he, he had good intentions. It just Mad Lib does that. Mad he just Lib forgot. He just, yeah, all right, I'll give you that. So, so, so the, so the story for, for those who are listening is uh, for Nittyville, but yeah. you know, prior to Nittyville, um, he, he said, come to you in LA, I believe, right? You're in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and, uh, you, uh, you know, he said, come to, come to you. I've got some beats for you. Every time you went, you gave him a bag of weed. He gave you the money, but the beats weren't there. And he kept promising you oh, next time, come next time, come next time. And then, yeah. And then the, inj- yeah. I, I'd love for you to explain the solution you came up with because it's genius. It's genius. Well, at the, at the time, at the time I was, you know, making beats and I had a studio set up where at my spot and I was like, yo, well, I got these beats over here. I'm just making, I'm just sitting on different tempos or whatever. How, if I create the song to that and send you the vocals with the tempo, can you, you know, just make the beats to it? And he's like, you can do that? Yeah, I got you. And he's like, okay, yeah, do that. And that's how we finished out. Like I literally didn't hear the album until it was out. Oh, wow. Until they had test presses. Like I didn't hear the final, because we recorded the first three or four joints um together which was a, a miracle right like he came pick me up two consecutive days we went to the studio at, at, like one time we went and recorded at j-rock's crib and then we went to another studio and, and recorded and, and the fellas was bugging like you got how frank how you get him here to actually do here <laughs> to actually be here for the recording so i was like yo i bugged out he called me he can't pick me up i couldn't believe it so i you know <laughs> you know what i'm saying like because you know mad lip is that guy like yeah, he is. He's, he is the genius. He's, he's, the genius. He's, yeah, it's it's the genius thing, and and just he's so immersed in the music. Yeah, like everything else, kind of, and I understand it because you know being up on the dealer, it, it manifested different, but he would do the same things. I mean, he would beat on his pads until he had blisters on his fingers, and when the blisters bust, he would just bandage them up with band aids because they had pads on them, so it didn't hurt, and he could still and just carry. Beat. Wow. Yeah, I used to make fun of him. One time I came over there and he had like three fingers taped up. And you remember Michael Jackson in the Mike, video? Yeah. We had the white type of. Michael Jackson down here. Like, it's a You down, <laughs> down here doing spins, the moonwalk or something with the fingers, man. Like, you know, but, you know, to keep it light because I know what he was going through. I know yeah, what, yeah. what was happening and why, why that is. You know what I'm saying? But it's that determination. It's that being able to completely immerse yourself in something. Everybody ain't got that trick. And those guys, those two in particular, they have it where even bodily injury doesn't stop. You understand? Mm, mm, mm. No, hundred percent. I mean, Madlib in 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 just I mean both Dilla and Madlib, but Madlib especially with the with the Mm. with sampling, you've just you know 
he was so he was so like mad has been something like stuff from india like and and yeah. the way he would do it flip yeah. it like bollywood music like he he's genius it's just genius yeah. level both, both i truly be, i truly be, i truly believe you know in life when two people are supposed to meet and work together mm-hmm. jd and madlib mm. yeah yeah it's it's a it's a wonderful thing chris um take us out with the uh with the number 13 and then um we'll we'll let mr 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 frank get on his way Tell me about the decision to join the Yancey Boys on the second release. Because I know the first Yancey Boys was just Illa J over the Dilla Beats. Yeah. Um, you joined on the second one. You had some new flavor to it. What, what was the reasoning behind that? Illa J. Illa J. Because he did the first one and he reached out. Because at the time when he did the first one, I was, um, I think, living in, I was in Canada at the time, right? In Toronto. Uh, and, uh, he reached out, yo, Frank, man, can you tell the alien story that you be, you know, tell you? okay, bet. And he sent me the beat and I told the story and it was that. And then fast forward, that was when they were recording. By the time I came out to LA, cause I basically moved out to LA in 2008. Um, by the time I came out here, the record was, I think either out or just coming out. And, you know, I ended up staying at Illa J's spot my first little while that I was here, right? And, you know, we was building from there and we we uh, just building because, let me rewind, before Illa came out here and did that record, like his first stop was in Toronto with me and Deck to get the boot camp. That's what we call it. And the boot camp is basically like rap training, making song training, being in the studio and just, finding out your space in there like dilla did that for us and we call mm. it the boot camp you understand uh where you know you come we we're gonna give you a beat or frank uh frank and dank here go the beat y'all come up with a song and we're gonna record it tonight or tomorrow whatever the situation you know it was stringent rules to making a song so once you become an artist and you're in the studio on your own time you can have the wherewithal to get the work done you yeah. ain't just in there lounging right at least that's what i got from it right so uh, we, we gave Illa the same boot camp, but up in, in Toronto where he came and here, Frank and they gonna do their parts to it, but you just go in and create something. You go one of your brother's beats, create something. And then we'll fill it in and see how they come out of his songs. And that was kind of his boot camp, right? So then, and mind you, when I met Dilla, Illa wasn't even born yet, right? Wow. I've known this man his whole life. That's crazy. He was born a couple months later. You understand? Mm. I've known him his whole life. So basically my little bro. You yeah. understand? So uh that was you know where the building and and, and thing, because you know, up until that point, he didn't he was too young to hang out with us, right? So now he's a little older and we were, you know, kind of building that bond, friendship, relationship, and then working relationship as well. And uh in 2000 12 i went back to detroit for i was in a situation with a lady we had a house out here and all this other stuff right and that was over and i needed to get away from couch i said oh, i'm gonna go home and hug my mama for a couple of days right yeah and just chill out so while i'm there dilla's mom just showed up didn't call me nothing just came to my mama's house knocked on the door right Came in, hey, now, now, mind you, she know my mama and family mm-hmm. and all that, so it's not 
anything surprising, but I just didn't know she was coming over. Well, I need to talk to you. I need you to work for me. So long story short, I started working for Dilla's mama, which I still am now because she owns J. Dilla merch. I don't know if y'all can see that in the That's right. I can see it. We can see it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I run the merch company for her and, you know, hats, t-shirts, masks, all the good stuff. Deliciousvinyl.com, J. Dilla merch. Anyway, so, uh, so I, I stayed in Detroit longer than what I had planned on. I ended up there being there about a year. And that was when she found, when they found that all the uh, unreleased beats and stuff. So I was there to help her archive that and kind of help her direct her and like what years and things. Cause a lot of stuff I had heard or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was there for that whole cataloging of, of all that material and all that. So I worked with her through all of that. And then um, once we finished all that, you know, it was like, oh, well, we should do probably do another project. And, and it was like, you know, the most likely candidates, at least from that point, vantage point, was Illa J. Yeah. He already did the one. Let's start up part two. And what he did, he's like, oh, Frank, okay, yeah, well, let's just do a new single with one of the new beats, and you should just get on. It's just feature. And that was the throwaway. And we did the throwaway. We recorded the throwaway vocals in my basement, my mama's basement, right? Wow. And we just did that, and then we took it to the big studio and mixed it. And it came out good, and and Illa J was like, you know what, Frank, we should just, I, the last album was Illa J and it was named the Yancey Boys. The name of the record was Yancey Boys. Why don't we just make Yancey Boys a group? And it'd be me and you over Dilla Beats. And I'm saying you, you, you basically my brother anyway. So let's just do, do that. But I was like, man, you know, you sure, bro? Like, I don't, you know, I'm not here to, this is for you. Nah, man, let's do it. And I was like, okay, well, let's do it. So from there, we jumped out to Cali and we recorded it all out here, right on uh, Sunset Boulevard at the Delicious Vinyl office. Like we basically took over our office and uh, one of the rooms upstairs and put a studio in there, mm. had a little lounge area on the other side. And, you know, at nights, during the day, me and Ella would pick beats that we wanted, we would just listen to beats because we couldn't, you know, there's other things going on in the building, so we couldn't just bang it out, sure. pick beats, and then that night we would record, bang out, you know, and we worked it out, and I ended up staying, like, because Illa, at the time, was, like, moving, uh, doing shows with Slum and just moving around, different things, so I, I kept him for a few weeks, got all his vocals done, did most of mine, finished mine up, and then we started getting the features and different things that we had, you know, the Commons and the Talibs and all started doing all that, but I stayed in Cali and did all of that. Did, right, Because right, right. technically I, you know, I was executive producer on the record, right? So that was because I handled all of the the back end of dealing with the other artists, you know, videos and all, all of that, right? So um, it was really Illa's idea for Yancey Boys, for Frank Nick to be part of the Yancey Boys family group. And, you know, well, you know, there's been some talks about doing a second one, so you know, you never know. I mean, it would, it would be great. It would be great. Yeah. It would yeah, be great. Illa, Illa, I mean, Illa was dope, but, I mean, he's progressed so far. He's like... 100%. 100%. Awesome. It, it, some alien stuff now. He's, yeah. 100%. So, 100%. Shout out to Illa J. You just called me, boy. <laughs> <laughs> now, but listen, yeah. Frank, listen, we um we appreciate you, man. You've, um you've, you've, this was everything I thought it would be, and then some. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh. Like... I um like there's something about being able to hear these stories and being privileged enough to hear these stories 
because these are this is you know this is part of your life right we're hearing your mm-hmm. life you were hearing your life experiences and we're we're taking part in that but you allowed us in so we appreciate that because oh. you know, for us you know we grew up as fans but we we, we read liner notes we're we're that we're from that ilk right we we mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. the tape decks and all that so for us yeah. this is this for us this is a wonderful thing to be able to hear your stories to share in the love of the music and share mm. our love for you and for you to reciprocate that. So we sincerely appreciate you and your time, brother. I appreciate that, man. Thank you all for having me. And a couple little tidbits before we go. Yes. Um, You boys know about Dillafest? Yeah. Now we had one. Yes. Uh, uh, we had Dillafest Digital. It was That's online. Right. That's right. That's I right. did that one, you know, a bunch of interviews, which, you know, from Robert Glass for the Pete Rock and, Terrace Barton and Amp Fiddler and just Ma Dukes and just, you know, Dilla Dilla off the chain. But we also did a Dilla Fest live event here in LA. Um, it was Frank and Dank, Illa J, DJ Redmatic, Talib Kweli, Daru Jones, and the five after a three piece trio, uh, you know, outside, free for everybody. You know, four, almost 5K came out. Wow. And celebrated Dilla, man. It was amazing, right? So Dilla Fest will happen again. We planning another one. I can't tell you where just yet. It'll come out soon. But you know, so look out for that Dilla Fest. We we trying to take them to different places. You know, bring a really good, solid Dilla show, Dilla theme, Dilla oriented show in a big way to a lot of people. So DillaFest.com, check that out. You okay. know, you can see what we got going on. Different things popping. And obviously, I told you about the merch. And listen, this is something that is near and dear to my heart. And again, I understand that it gets uh I'm, I'm known as a rapper, mm-hmm. right? And and even if you go further than that, then like the guys I work with are known as revered guys from Dilla to Mad Lib. So you know what I'm saying? So I understand that the rap sets precedent. But I wrote a book. It's called Travel Rap, right? Right, right. And it's like um, it's out now. It's, you can get it digitally at deliciousvinyl.com or amazon.com. Now, people, I'm a hip hop guy, so this is all based on hip hop, right? But it's kind of travel tips, international travel tips. But but the meat of it is stories about my experiences on the road and how they pertain to travel. So I give you like 10 travel tips, right? Like, so I talk about uh, uh, just keeping your passport up to date and on you and around you and knowing how it's used when you're traveling. Like when you're going from say America to China, check into what China's rules are, the regulations and how to, and then I tell a story about me going to, I was flying from, uh, maybe Amsterdam, I think, and I was going to uh, uh, Myanmar, right? Right. And right, I was right, DJing right. in Myanmar, and I had to stop over in 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 uh, uh, um, in uh, uh, in Thailand, right? In Bangkok, stop over in Bangkok, and there they stamp, they want to stamp a page. Now, in my thing, I got plenty of the squares that you get everywhere else, sure, in Europe, and it's a small little stamp, rubber stamp, boom, in your little sure. box to show you came in on that date. And they'll give you one when you leave. That's what I thought. So I get there <laughs> and I go across the border and I get to the people and they tell me, no, 
even though I got pages and pages with stamps, they're like, no, we need a full clear page, which I didn't have. It was closer to the end of my passport. Need a clear page, but we can't let you go. So now I'm in the middle of my trip, can't go. So now I'm gonna miss this first flight. So the US Embassy, the promoter that's in Myanmar, calls and finds that the US Embassy will just add pages to my passport. But I gotta get there before they close at three o'clock and it's probably about noon. We at the airport, right? Yeah. And and I gotta get there, get the new pages, get back and try to catch another flight. I'm gonna be late, but I'm gonna make it. Right. So without giving y'all the whole story, this whole episode from the airport to the the embassy, I almost get hit by a car. Uh, oh, some real, it's, it's a really elaborate story <clears throat> about just having to go get these pages because I didn't know this before I went. You didn't know, yeah, right, right, right. Right, 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 right so right. there's 10 tips, but then some really, really, really wild stories. Like, okay. very entertaining, you know, okay. and I think, you know, it's important that Rappers, rappers are put in a box. Yeah, yeah you know what I'm saying. It's, it's very much. Oh, you're, you're just a rapper. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You could have been a doctor before you was a rapper, but once you're a rapper, you're just a rapper, right? Yeah. So it's important that fans of the raps, fans of my writing skills as a rapper, possibly might enjoy my writing skills as an author. As an author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, this is all me. He's self-published. Ain't no additives. Ain't no. I didn't have another writer break it down. Everything you read is <laughs> from here. You just understand? You, so you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have no ghost writers on the songs or the book. Like uh, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you as know, you were talking, um, just to let you know, I have and I can show you. I don't know if you can see. I have bought it. The kit, oh the, my god, the, the ebook. See? So I've bought it as you were talking. I was like, okay, travel rap by Frank Nett is available, deliciousvinyl.com yeah. and on Amazon as well. Yes, yeah, so, Amazon yeah. because you know it's Kindle and you gotta yes. have the things to go with that. But uh deliciousvinyl.com, you can get it just in the PDF form, you can read it on any device. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah. see, yeah, so, so that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Congrats. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I appreciate that, but it's, it's things like that. I just want to show that you know, we ain't just rappers, we we can do other things. And don't put that on the young boys coming up. They they got room to grow and think, you know what I'm saying? They doing what they doing, but hopefully they'll grow and become more for, you know what I'm saying? For the people. It's all part of that trying to be a grown man. Yeah, That's I like and I like that. And and I think I think more we're we're getting more and more books. I mean, I I just bought Shea Serrano's hip hop and other things recently. Like I'm buying this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Kathy I and Dolly just released a uh, baby girl and Aaliyah. And there's more people yeah. in the space creating more books and 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 that's very important right so dan charnas is is doing dilla time which is coming out in in oh, yeah. february which I'm, I'm gonna have to try to get a copy of this a preview copy because i can't Shut wait up. until february i just, I just talked to dan the book's amazing it's it's oh, amazing really? okay it's okay. it's you know I, I i thank god for dan like he, he called me a lot when he was writing because he know how close we and dilla were right yeah. Yeah. it's well worth it bro Okay. It's well worth. It. It's well worth. It. Like, okay, I, you know, and I, I'm in it. You understand? <laughs> I'm in it. But it's and it has nothing to do with me being in it. It's it's just well everything worth. else about it. If you took me out, yeah. Okay. It's, perfect. Perfect. It's that. It's that for sure. No, perfect. But no, I reiterate, yeah. man. We appreciate, appreciate you. Appreciate. Thank you. Oh man, thank you guys. I appreciate. It. I had fun, man.
piece to Frank Knit. Man, that was a goodie. That was a goodie. Yep. I hope I hope I hope yep. you listeners who are listening to this right now appreciate the the vividness of the stories that Frank tells. Because he had tells Wow, he said vividness. When someone says vividness, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, just yeah, you, yeah, you, you yeah. made you made a great you made a great quip about the fact that you know in Dilla, that how they would play uh, Dilla joints through the, the through telephones through phone tag right bring and like you so that was like the first like that was the listening session before they were, ever was yeah that it was amazing story I had no, I never knew that story what a story it was bro like bro Dilla was different yeah, he was he's different yeah he died for the culture bro yeah that's re- it's really sad he he inspired so many people I mean, we had we had oh no. Um, last week and he was talking about how Dilla saved his life you know him alchemist come you know, on this it's a real thing for people Dilla inf- for real like I remember when Stakes is High came out and my friend always played the remix the remix was produced by his cousin so he was like yo my cousin did this remix so I thought the remix was the original and then when I heard the original and then I saw oh produced by JD I'm like nah the original's better no, respect to Steve still like respect to that but <laughs> Yeah, the original, the original was crazy. So Dilla's been a part of a part of my hip hop journey from early. Like Lab Cab in California, Far Side is one of my favorites. So um, yeah, Dilla, Frank and Frank and Dank. The stories just they're so intertwined with each other's legacies, you know. And there's a lot of greatness that came out of that camp. So it was awesome to hear it from from first person perspective. Yeah, still. no, definitely, definitely. Um, and as I said in the interview, Frank doesn't do many interviews. I've not seen many, so you're, you're he right. He doesn't do that. many interviews, and for whatever reason, we you know we laughed about it. But for whatever reason, you know, he chose to do ours, and that that's that's mm. infinite respect to to, to Frank. Yeah, your email game must be crazy. It's, still, it's okay, man. It's okay. I mean, I could. <laughs> no, I ain't trying to. What did you say to him on the email? I, I what am did you not say? trying to stunt whatsoever, but that was done within a couple of hours, and that's from me sending okay. it to replying to setting it up. That, you know because wow. you know you've got to set right. the times right you know does this time work does this time work and that was it like mm-hmm. so respect to frank to to be super prompt and reply and actually be excited to do it you know yeah be- for real i want to say this before the year's mm. over i think you're booker of the year nah, they're, 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 you're, you're biased in that respect bro no i'm not i'm being honest you're, you are booker of the year can't do it you're booker of the year you are i want to say paul Heyman. <laughs> But you're not crazy. I ain't enough. got the hair yet, bro. I ain't got the hair. To be fair, I am crazy though. I'm crazy. I, I you're, I'm gonna say you're the Eric Bischoff ooh. of podcast booking. He was a yeah. G though. You gotta he be Eric G, Bischoff. He was, G, he was a G at times. Yeah, at yeah, times. Yeah, at, yeah. Times, he, at times. He wanted smoke with yeah, Vince. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. He did. He did. But that's kind of me, right? Smoke. I, I like. I like smoke. Yeah, but you I, want smoke. I won't say that. I'll let. I'll let the listeners or people who listen to the podcast or legends of the game say that. Like who we've interviewed to go look because throughout the whole year we've had some remarkable feedback from like I said people that we love and know and respect and that's a testament mm-hmm. to both of us um for us you know to I said this to you last year and we'll we'll talk about it more in the you know before the year is out but I said to you last year 2021 watch my booking game and I said that to you and and, and I haven't and yeah, I did. haven't secured everyone I wanted to and that's the crazy thing but there's something you said that still stuck with me um, from from last week, which was our our bucket list. The list that we had of these are the people that we want has got smaller and smaller, and that's again a testament to the work we've put in, but also the drive and the push that the listeners give us. That this yes, we absolutely. we ultimately do this for you. We are doing this in our spare time for free for you guys because we love this as much as you guys love it. 
I'm flattered though. Like sometimes the listeners would be like, get this person. And I'm like, first of all, in my head, I can't, we, we, we can't get this person. But the fact they think we can yeah. is dope. Like when, when we did the Blueprint series and they're like, yo, get Kanye. Like in my soul, in it. Like I knew we couldn't do that. Like, but the fact they said, yeah, get him. It wasn't like, oh, can you? It's like, get him. Go on. <laughs> so I, I, Go what on. I would say um, is keep them coming. If 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 if, yeah. if if listeners is it's aspirational, right? So if people feel like, hey, go get Kanye, then yeah, I didn't reach out to Kanye because I just didn't think he would do it. That doesn't mean to say that we can't. Oh, right. it doesn't mean to say that we can't reach out, right? Because okay. the, the six you. degrees of separation isn't is is a real thing for us. We can go and reach out to said people. Right. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'll say it right because you know appreciate Frank and this is an interview for Frank. But this is the outro, so appreciate. I I hit up Jermaine Dupree's people. Right, months ago, early, early this year, and they said, "Listen, respectfully, we're just going to decline." Doesn't mean we can't reach out to them. Doesn't mean to say they're mm, going to do mm, it. Like, doesn't mm. mean to say they will do it. But everyone is gettable in terms of contact and reach out. Right. It's just whether they're going to do it or not, or whether this is. And it's also timing yeah, and timing. You know, because Master Ace took a minute. Yeah. Crisis took a minute. People got things People going, got things on. going so, on. And, and, and ultimately, they'll come back and respect. Oh, they, they, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, there have been people that, who initially said no, that want to come back. And I'm like, okay. Nah, not yet. No, no, no. Let them come back. Let them come back. But say it in the interview. Nah. Nah, Say I, I, I value bro. myself, bro. I, I value I value our brand too much, bro. If they can't see the vision, okay, if they can't you. see the vision, they can't see the vision. That's okay. But remember, we 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 come to people with respect, you know. I've got some other mm. names of people. That would okay, be great I thought you were just gonna roll them off now. I thought you were just gonna give up game. I thought. No, no, no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I've learned my lesson. I talk too what much. What do you mean? We'll talk. Like, I talk. I'm a rap because I'm a rapper right, as well, right, innit? Right. I hate my voice, bruv. Like, I talk too much, innit? Just just rap, just podcast and wow. be quiet, innit? No, I really do feel okay. like that. That's, that's, that. that's not true, but we can talk about We okay, We can talk it. about off air. Um, but no, look, look, appreciate appreciate the words. I don't think I am, but it's not for me to say. If you say it now, you know, appreciate it, but it's... No, sorry. you got to be your biggest cheerleader. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Your booker of the year. Okay. I've got the stats. I've seen the emails. I see the, I've got the Zoom account, bro. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> Like I no, I'm being honest. I see yeah, it. I mean, if if you chuck in if you chuck in the series, bro, just the series yeah, alone. If you chuck in the series, real. okay. I I did a handful, right? But bro, you went and found Jazzo. Like, bro, like people were messaging me like, "Yo, you found Bink." Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. This is what we shout out, shout out to Newface oh, actually, who just tagged me in a Bink post to go see, to yeah. go. Uh, you y'all you, you, should talk, and I'm like. I just hit, I'm going to hit up new face after because I've just seen it. I'm going to hit him and say, look, man, Bink okay. has an open door policy. He can come anytime he wants. But, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, Bink is still on my bucket list. Okay. But we still. spoke to him. But we but spoke we, to him. We will but get we spoke there. to him. We spoke to him. We got, we got the stories yeah. that the listeners haven't heard yet. They, you know, we got the stories. So. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. God bless this hard drive. I'm actually going to start backing this stuff up to a cloud. Yeah, you should. You should. But um, we digress. Um, and this should really be our end of year podcast, I think, because um, we're talking about. No, we got we got more stuff for that. <laughs> we got we got more. No, but um, more stuff no, we, we've had exceptional year, um, and and again, Frank. Honestly, having Frank Net is that's a good one because people yeah. talk about yeah. Dilla all day long, 
And, you know, I was fortunate to interview Marduk's many, many moons ago, but I never mm-hmm. got to speak to Frank. Um, right. And, and right. Frank was, you know, he, he's been there from the very beginning. You know, these guys went to school right. together, like early. And he's very protective of the legacy because I think, not to go off on a tangent with Dilla, it's been hijacked in a way. It's been, um, you know, I even got to a point, and I'm going to be honest with you, like there were so many Dilla projects coming out, some official, some not official. I got to a point where it was like, this is too much. You know, I was hearing beats credited to Dilla that weren't wow. Dilla. And it's like, okay, this is wild. But, you know, with Frank Nitt, I think there's a there's almost like, you remember the old Nintendo games with the seal of approval, that silver sticker? I know anytime we're talking to him just about Detroit history, in general, you know it's authentic. Yeah. So, um, no, I really, I really appreciate him for that. Yeah. yeah, me too, me too. But as always, you can follow us on social at Break the Atoms on Instagram and Twitter. Chris's handle is at I am Kinetic. Mine is at Hip Hop Chronicle. We'll be back with yet another episode, episode one fifty one, next week. But until then, peace, peace. <laughs>